The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Yeah. Hey.
something and I totally agree with it. Did it, you ever have a week that feels like an entire week of Mondays? That's That was this week for me. Okay. Can anyone tell me what this is? Ibuprofen or Tylenol. The bottle says acetaminophen. That's too smart for me. Um, well, the purpose of it, the bottle says temporarily leaves these common cold flu symptoms Aches and pains, headaches, sore throat, nasal congestion, cough, sinus congestion, and pressure. So we're just going to focus on headaches this week because they're pretty common. Let's raise a hand if we've ever had a headache. Those who didn't, put your hand up because you're a liar, and that's a sin. I don't know a single like month of my life that I haven't had a headache. Like They're pretty common. Now, the most reliable source I know, Google... Um, says that a headache is a painful sensation in any part of the head, ranging from sharp to dull, that may occur with other symptoms. So I had a thought a couple weeks ago. I had a headache, and I told my mom that I was getting a Tylenol. Of course, I'm 18, and I still ask my mom if I can get a Tylenol. It's just, I don't know, I just do it. And so I was going to grab it out of the cabinet, and I had a thought. I was like, wait, why do I have a Tylenol in the first place? I was thinking, I was like, I haven't drinking any water all day long, but I was going to take the pill because I didn't like the pain. I still have a headache even after taking the pill because I'm still dehydrated. But, excuse me. But how often when we have a problem and it causes a headache, we pop a pill to get rid of the pain. I was dehydrated. If I took the pill, I'm still dehydrated. After I take the pill. So, sorry, I lost my spot. And there are so many other reasons why that happens. You didn't eat, stress, eye problems, but we don't like the pain, so we take the pill to get rid of the pain. And I'm not saying, this isn't one about pain reliever addictions, like that's, that's not what I'm going for here. If that's an actual problem. I'm just saying, yeah. In Proverbs 19.2, 
Uh, furthermore, it isn't good to be ignorant, and whoever rushes into things misses the mark. Shortcuts may seem profitable in short term, but they will never get us anywhere in the long term. Better to do things God's way, the diligent will prosper. You think when Jesus was up on the cross, he wishes, Man, this crown of thorns is really hurting my head, and these nails in my hands hurt. I wish I had a Tylenol. Probably not. He wants not to be up there anymore, but he had to for what we... He had to be up there for us. He had to take that pain for us so that one day we can be with him. So throughout this week, let's take our struggles and find the problem and not just look for the shortcut, for the short-term situational fix. Let's try to find our problem and resolve the problem better than just taking shortcuts. Please bow your head. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for this day and we thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. We thank you for letting us all gather here today and to honor and worship you. And we pray that throughout our week, through our troubles and tribulations, that we look for you for answers and that we joy you in everything we do, in the goods and the bads, in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever been in a fight? I mean, like, you know, fisticuffs, fight, fight, uh... Why is it that every fight we're ever in when we're kids, we think we look like Chuck Norris out there, right? We, you know, we've seen the movies. Oh, I'm going to do the spinning round kick. I'm going to hit it right. You know, everything's going to be great. Do we realize that in the movies, those are all very choreographed. They're all set up. I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do this. The reality of most playground fights are a lot of this and a, and a lot of this, and, you know, and some sweating and some being out of shape. I only had one real fight that I, I lost, I admit, but she was big. You just understand. <laughs> Saying, you know, the big fight in the Bible, even the most hardened atheist knows it. It's part of our sports vernacular. It's one of the most famous stories of all time. The big giant set to wipe the floor with the little upstart opponent, David Goliath. The underdog story. The least can defeat the biggest. Now, we know the story, but can we see Jesus in this story? We're in this series called the Emmaus Code. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 17. And, and we invite you to read along with us as we go to 1 Samuel 17 to talk about the Emmaus Code. What is the Emmaus Code, Don? It comes from Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is walking on the road with these two guys headed to Emmaus. And they don't understand what's going on. So he, it says in verse 27 that he opened the, the scriptures and he began to teach to them. And exp, he op, starting with Moses and the prophets... He explained to him what the scripture said about himself, how that all of the Old Testament, the prophets point to Jesus and all of the gospels and the letters point backwards to Jesus. He is the hinge pin of all of it. Now, as I said, the David and Goliath story is super easy. We all know the story, but this particular story is one I, I really believe if we don't get the details of this story, we're going to miss a ton of the lessons that are here. I need you to see this story through the eyes of someone that doesn't have a New Testament, that doesn't have all of the rest of it. I want you to visualize that you're one of those two guys walking down the road and, and you're trying to understand the concept of Jesus and all you have as a frame of reference is the, the Torah and the prophets. You just have the old stories. Can you see Jesus in this classic story? If you're online, you're on the radio, thanks for joining us at uh, Central Christian Church. We're in First, Cha First Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for, for battle and camped between Soka in Judah and Azekah in another country I can't pronounce. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. 
He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he said. I'm the Philistine champion. You're the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Before you close up, first of all, keep your Bible open. We're going to be looking at all this. Jump down and look at verse 16. In context, this is very important. Verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, could we go back a couple of slides? I want to start and talk about details are important. Context is always king. Now, I've said along, if we're going to use the Bible and be people of the word, then we need to understand more than just throwing out a verse here and there that backs up our opinion. We need to know what's going on all around this. Now, Israel are God's people, but they are being challenged and being attacked by these Philistines. Philistines are bad dudes. They're awful people. They're idol worshipers. They practice human sacrifice. They dabbled in the occult. And they were very strong. They had a very strong army. And specifically this one guy, this opponent was huge. Now we all know Goliath. He's nine feet tall. He has a bronze coat of mail that weighs 125 pounds. If you're under the age of about 40, a coat of mail is like a Kevlar vest, okay? Uh, It's just super, super heavy. Bronze leggings, helmet, all this kind of stuff. Did you notice how many details are in here about the weight? It's trying to give us this imagery of how big and how strong he is. I read some, some studies that in 2005, they were doing research and digging around the area that we know as Gath, where he's from, and they found pottery that had his, that had the name Goliath on it to back up this story. They also found uh, pieces of things that would be like this, these, these spears, a spear that's, uh, it says it's a weaver's pole. I looked it up. A weaver's pole is like at the top of a loom uh, and it was anywhere from eight to 12 feet long and about three inches thick. Think one of our four by four posts. All right. Think about throwing a four by four post, but they found in their digging They found some of these posts had loops on the end of them. Not only were they thrown, but they may have been catapulted. And I don't know if any of you, I know Joanna has the atlatl competition they have out here, Black and Water Draw. Have y'all ever done that? Have y'all ever seen that? They, they kind of, it's weird how they, but it's almost like a human catapult. He was so strong that the tip of this thing was 15 pounds, that he could throw it or he could launch this thing. This is a big opponent. Friends, in our spiritual battles, our enemies often look bigger and better equipped. They often look like they have it all together. I got a hunch, every one of us in here, everyone online, you face Goliath every day. It's your first thought in the morning. It's that last worry at night. It dominates your day. It steals your joy. But your Goliath may not come at you with a big 15-pound spearhead. It might be bills you can't pay. It might be people or a boss that you can't seem to please. It might be grades you can't seem to keep. It might be whiskey you can't seem to resist might be a past that you just can't shake. Last week, we talked about strongholds. Strongholds are something that sets themselves up against the authority of God. And when they do, they make themselves bigger and minimize the power of God. Got a book recently from a guy named Louis Giglio, who's a big speaker. He founded this passion movement out in Atlanta, like 50,000 college people getting together. It's a really powerful 
thing. But it was early in his ministry, and he was telling the story. They were trying to found this church, and they'd been at it for a year, year and a half, something like that. And it just was conflict and division, and people weren't on board. And he was texting a buddy of his, and he was venting, okay? We might call it complaining, but he was venting about his struggles. And he, you know, he was expecting him to send him back this it's okay, buddy. You're, you're in the right. I'm, you know, I'm backing you. He waited a little while and then he got this nine word text from his friend. It said, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And that's pretty stout right there. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. This David that we're looking at is the same David that later on in Psalm 23 writes, he prepares a table before my enemies. That's the same David, but this is teenage David and he's squaring up against the biggest enemy you have ever seen. He's ever seen. And for a month and a half, this Goliath has stood out there and made fun of him and all of these people. He, the Israelite people gave him a seat at their table. And maybe what God is telling us in this story is take back the table God has prepared for you. I think this story of David is showing us what happens when fear is allowed to sit at the table. Because if you saw this, they, they ran away in fear. The Israelite army, fear, fear leads us to freezing. Fear leads us to lack of progress. We can't go forward because we're afraid And what he's telling us is don't give the enemy a seat at the table. Now let's go on back to the text. Join me in 1 Samuel 17, but jump on down to verse 20. Now, if you pick up at 11 or verse 12, it tells how David comes into this. David is off with dad. Dad sends him with bread. Jump on down to verse 20. Okay. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battle with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite army, excuse me, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Now, I want us to see how this story plays out. You got Philistine army on one side, you got the Israelite army on the other side, a little valley in between. When we were there a few years ago, I got to go down in the Valley of Elah and pick up rocks from where David would have picked up. I have some in my office that are the exact place where David would have picked these rocks up. It's just a simple little valley, but you got these two armies facing each other. And here's what they do. They come out after breakfast and they yell at each other. And then they go back to camp. I wonder if right when they get finished yelling, hey, uh, are we meeting at four today? Yeah, four. Okay, see you then. All right. And they just go back to their camps. Do we get how ridiculous this sounds? And then they come back out for supper and they do it all over again. They're just yelling at each other. You know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid sometimes we as Christians, we come together to yell, yay, God. We sing God's about, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory but we don't do anything worse. We come to, to, and say, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. We worship and we pat each other on the back and then we go home and we hide and we let worry and we let fear hold us back. How many of you have ever heard the phrase pay attention? No, no, you've never heard that. Teachers have never said that like three hands went up. All right. Pay attention. Do we realize that's one of the first admonitions we'll ever get as a little kid? Now, it may not come in those words, but it's, hey, look at this. Look at this rattle. Look at this. You know, it's one of the first things that we ever get, but it's one of the hardest actions. 
We're taught in school how to think and how to do math and how to read. But I wonder, are we taught to pay attention? And, and I love how this word, pay attention, pay attention. Like I pay my bill, I pay, my, pay for my meal. I give it value, right? I give it something of my, our attention is valuable. And how we pay it changes our brain. How we think. I read some research that in 2014, these two doctors from Canada, I can't pronounce their names, they were creating what we would call AI. Okay, before you go any further, I know some people don't like AI. That is uh, all, uh, um, artificial, everywhere. artificial intelligence. I was like, alternative intelligence. That doesn't sound right. Uh, artificial intelligence, computers that can think. Okay, and a lot of people don't like that stuff, but they were trying to build it. It's out there, right? Okay, so they were trying to build it and they were trying to teach it how to think. And what they found is when they gave it something to do, a task to do, it did too many things. And they needed to teach it to narrow its focus and filter out things. So I chose this particular picture. This is an AI created and named picture. It's called woman throwing Frisbee in a park. Hence the woman throwing a Frisbee in a park region, all right? But what they had to do is they had to teach this computer to filter out the guy and filter out the the trees and filter out the grass because what it kept saying was woman throwing Frisbee with a blade of glass, grass and another blade of grass and another blade of grass because it, it took all of that in, right? And and it, they were trying to teach it to just focus on three things. Woman, Frisbee, park. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. All right. Um, I was watching that and reading that and I was listening and I wondered if sometimes we face our problems and it feels like there's too many out there and we get overwhelmed and we freeze and, and we don't focus on how big our God is. We focus more on the problem, more on the grass, more on the background than what is really at the center. Uh, never have two warriors been so unequally matched. In modern day boxing and wrestling and even in MMA, they have weight classes, right? So you don't have some 300-pound guy going against some 98-pound weakling and trying to make it a little more balanced. But they didn't have that here. You had a giant going against a teenager. We use this term in, in big business, going against the little mom and pop shop. In sports, it's the New York team that has lots of money versus the small market team that doesn't have any money. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> Giants versus little guys. But sending out David, we know the rest of the story, right? David goes out and he's going to fight. It, it upsets Goliath. It offends Goliath. Look down verse 41 through 44. You'll see that he's upset and he names David. He calls him Twiggy. Well, that's not really what it says, but he, he said, what am I, a dog? You come at me with sticks? You know, you're a little punk kid. What are you thinking? I, this is, I eat this kind of guy for breakfast. This is ridiculous. He curses David. And he calls him less than. You're not, you're not worthy of my attention. You're less than. Friends, I got a hunch that some of you face an enemy that calls you less. Maybe that enemy is the mirror. Maybe it's the bank account. Maybe it's social media. All of them, they have happy marriages. How come we don't? Maybe it's divorce papers and it says you aren't good enough to feel loved maybe it's the magazines that say all oh, these people are pretty and popular and you're not friends you need to see you in the same way that our god sees you we need to get our identity not from who we are among other people and what we do in this world but from who our God sees us as. It needs to come from who we are before God, not from what we do before men. Now, everybody knows the story about the fight and the results of it. You know, a little guy goes up, throws the rock. 
David uses toys. We get this. Oh, a slingshot. Yay. No, you, most of you've heard sermons about this. This was a shepherd's tool. He was comfortable with it. It was a comfort level. That was why. In fact, when he went to Saul, he said, I'll fight him. And Saul put him in his war, you know, his battle armor. He's like, you can't move in this stuff. It's too big. He needed to be at a comfortable level. But I told you, it's the details that we often miss that make this story important. Friends, I want you to hear the weapons were not the important part of this story. The focus is. You come at me, as Lily read a few minutes ago, sword and spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now that's huge. And I want you to see what David talks about and how he talks about Goliath. In, in this story, as I've been reading through it, I've only found, now you can maybe find more and I'd like to know, but I find two places where he talks about Goliath. The first one is in verse 26 where he calls him to his face. And the second one is in verse 36 where he tells it to Saul and he calls him a pagan Philistine as if to say that dirty dog. Okay. He is the only two places I can find him talking about about Goliath. He's kind of tacky about it, but you know what he doesn't talk about? I can't see any place in here where he mentions Goliath's size or his age or his warrior skill or all of that bronze armor or his social standing or his IQ. I don't find any of that. He doesn't seem to be concerned with Godzilla across the way there. All I can find him even talking about Goliath is two times. But here, this is important. Dig down with me. What you need to see is how much more he talks about God. Start with me in verse 26. We're going to jump through these. So get your head in in scriptures. And I want you to see uh, the vastness of this. In verse 26, David asked the soldier standing by, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to, number one, defy the armies of the living God? Now jump down to verse 37. In verse 37, he says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Verse 45, he says, I come in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Later on in verse 45, he says, The God of the armies of heaven. In 46, he says, The Lord will conquer you. Verse 46, everyone will know that there is a God in Israel. Look on to 47. He says, everyone will know that God rescues. And again, in verse 47, he says, the Lord's battle. You know what I count? I count him talking about God eight times. I count him talking about Goliath two times. I don't math well, but listen to this. That's four times as many times about talking about God. Are you, question, are you more likely, four times more likely to talk about God's strength or your problems? hear me? I don't mean to be ugly and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but are you four times as likely to declare the greatness of God or to talk more about the problems you're facing this week? As Cody said, and he didn't leave the Tylenol up here, which by the way, I'm not really happy about. Uh, Wes and I walked by and went, Hey, that's handy. <laughs> Keep it right there. Uh, but he talked about focusing so much on the problem and not on the source of the problem. Are we four times as likely to declare the strength of God or the demands of our day? Are we four times as likely to ponder the grace of God or my guilt? Is my file of hope four times as big as my file of things I'm dreading this week already? I just stepped on somebody's toes. Don't worry. I, I was looking at my calendar earlier this morning. I was like, okay, I got this to do this. Way. And I was like, Ooh, I'm doing exactly what it says right here is your list of blessings. You get that yellow notepad out and you start writing all the things that God has blessed you. Is it four times as long as our list of complaints? You see, when we focus on the giant, 
We're going to stumble. But when we focus on God, the giant's going to tumble. We sing another song. Our praise team sings that. Remember those giants we call sin and shame? And then at the end of that line, it says, those giants are dead now. Those giants are rubble now. Are we going to focus on the author? If we're going to be people of God's word, are we going to be people of the word? Are we going to talk about the author? Stick with me. Now, some of you are sitting here going, okay, I get it. It's a great story. But is this and how is this a type of Jesus? Is, how can we see a shadow of Christ here? Let's see if we can move some, uh, have some moving pieces right here. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't look like Messiah. True? They thought Messiah is going to come in on a big white horse. It's going to crush all the Romans. We're going to be in charge. Everything's going to be big and bold. They didn't expect him coming in a barn, right? David didn't look like a warrior. He looked like a teenage boy. He didn't look like somebody that could go up against somebody that big. But David didn't focus on his foe. He set his eyes on God. My Jesus did the exact same thing. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw the cross and he saw past the cross. And I'm afraid too many times we just see the giant. We just see the cross. We don't see the other side. Now, we skipped a lot of the story. There's a lot of uh, on the cutting room floor, but David's brothers made fun of him and Goliath made fun of him. Both of those groups of people called him less. Remember when Jesus came around, what the Pharisees said about him? Isn't that a carpenter's son? I mean, isn't he from Nazareth? Oh, come on. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. They made fun of him because they could not see his strength. They could not see David's strength. Goliath stood on that hill for 40 days and mocked the people of Israel. Jesus went out in the wilderness after he was baptized and he spent 40 days hearing the mockery of the devil and not listening to it. Hearing the tricks of the devil and not falling for it. And in this story, what made David so mad? Was it that the army wasn't attacking? Was it that it was too hot out here? No, that that pagan Philistine was talking about my God. Somebody do something about that. (laughs) That pagan Philistine. What was it that made Jesus so mad? Now we get that he was very annoyed at the Pharisees, but what, what instance made him so mad that he set and he fashioned a rope and he ran some people out, some pagan money changers, said, don't you dare turn my dad's house into a den of iniquity. He was upset. Neither one of those were upset for themselves. Neither one of them stood for themselves. They stood for the father. And and the way this story is placed is so powerful. This is uh, David and Goliath's story. If you read ahead or uh, go back in verse 16, in chapter 16, the, the previous story is David's anointing. David is anointed as king of Israel, right? But that didn't really make the Bethlehem news that day. It wasn't the lead story because nobody really knew. It was just Samuel anointed him. Saul was still king. Nobody really knew. And the very next story is him going up against this giant. I think that is setting the tone for David being called a man after God's own heart. Remember that phrase? I think this is where it all began right here. But there is a problem in this story, especially in this framework. Too many times we go into the David and Goliath story and we talk about, hey, you know, it's the classic underdog story. You can overcome any giant. That is a great story for in the locker room at halftime. It's a great story when I'm trying to fire up my kids or get my business to run better. But in this frame of reference, Looking at Jesus in this story, that's, that's not the story here. We are not David up against the enemy. Jesus is David. We're the guys standing by the side, holding the armor and being afraid and our knees are knocking. Jesus is the one that goes before us. He plays the role of David in this story. We don't bring down our giants by trying harder. 
We do it by surrendering them to him. Letting him go before us. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. I believe David was showing Israel what a savior would look like. And he was also teaching us how to battle against bigger foes. So a couple of three questions. Are we missing Messiah because we're focused on the wrong part? Are we like the Israelites lining up at yell practice over on the the side? Yay, yay. And not doing anything about it. And running back and hiding because we're in fear. Are you four times more likely to talk about God or your problems or your opinions? You see, I've said this through this whole series. I want to gripe at Israel. I want to get so mad at them. How come you missed Jesus? How come you missed these messages? You know, we talked about a Passover Seder. How How did you miss Jesus in this? But I do the same thing. I got a hunch you do too. We look at our giant problems and we talk about our giant opinions and we miss how great our Savior is. I don't want us to do that. I'd like to introduce you to Jacob Smith. He is from Montana, and at the age of 12, he tackled the Big Cool Wah at Big Sky Ski Resort in Montana. For those of you that are, a skier, that are skiers, that is a triple black diamond. It is a 50-degree slope. If you're a skier, that should scare you. If you're not a skier, that should still scare you. That is a big honking mountain, all right? He's 12 years old. And he skis this thing. To get to the big cool wall, you've got to jump into it. And literally, when you land, there's no, all right, I'm ready. No, you're doing it. <laughs> you're in the air. You're starting. So he is doing this at, t- at 12 years old. This was about three years ago. He's 15 now. He had began skiing when he was six years old. But when he was eight, he started having headaches. And, and they were really bad headaches. And one particular afternoon, he was disoriented. He was banging in the wall. Some mom scooped him up, took him to the hospital. They took just a brief look at him, put him on a chopper, and sent him to Minneapolis. And immediately put him in to surgery for 12 hours. They found a softball-sized tumor in his brain. And it had crushed his optic nerve. And he was blind. Jacob went blind at age eight. Now you're sitting here going, but I thought you said at 12, he tackled this hill. He did. Blind. Completely blind. When he came out of surgery and recovery, he said, dad, when can I go skiing again? And dad had to choke back, um, son, that's, <laughs> that's not going to be happening now. All right. We're, we're going to have to do some different things. But he really wanted to try it. So his dad, Nathan, said, all right, let's figure it out. And they first started, he skied with him, just put his arms around him and just skied with him. And then it began skiing with a ski pole. And then it began stretching out farther and, and until he got to a radio. Till dad would just be on the radio, either skiing with him or up off the side watching the hill. And he just had an earpiece and he talked to him. And here's what he said. If dad says to turn right, I do. I know he's looking out for me. He wouldn't steer me wrong. So I just listen and do what dad says. Surely you got that metaphor. I'm not the greatest preacher, but that's serving up a softball right there. I mean, anybody can hit that thing. All right. That's the, that's powerful. Friends, if we want to survive this crazy life and face our giants, it's not going to be in how giant we can get. It's are we going to surrender it to him? We need some David and we need some Jesus. We need to trust our father when he says stop and we need to trust him when he says turn and we need to do what he says. We need to be people of the word. Jesus was there all along 
And I promise you, the more we do it his way, the better we'll be. The lesson, the Emmaus Code, it's just a cute name to teach us to see Jesus everywhere. And if we will see that his play, his pattern, his way is better. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.